When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. All right, welcome everybody to the Lakers Legacy Podcast, where Mile High City, more like Might Cry City, because apparently the glitz and the glam and the Showtime Shazam don't travel too well in altitude. Damn. I have no idea where I was going with that intro. You're on your conference finals game. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think so, man. I was trying so hard to be like, Mile High City, Miley Cyrus, might, I don't know. (laughs) Anyways, all I know is, for the first time in this playoff series, this relentless and valiant Lakers group have their backs against the wall and look very vulnerable after dropping a very winnable game two to the Nuggets, 108 to 103 after an insane Jamal Murray 23-point fourth quarter. I'm your host, Jonathan Hernandez, and I'm joined today by my co-host, Tommy Alexander. Tommy, Lakers are down 0-2 after two very frustrating games in Denver. Two games that were frustrating for very different reasons, but the Lakers are down 0-2 nonetheless. So vibe check for you. How are you feeling and... You still down with KCP? Binary Mamba. Um, yeah, you know me? No, no. I'd say general vibe check. Like, it's tough, dude. It's tough because I think this is the one team that's just better than us. Um, if they beat us, like, it wouldn't really surprise me. But on the other hand, I think we can play better. So I'm optimistic, you know, that this group that started the season 2-10 and 10, that was down, like, 16 15 points or whatever to minnesota in the play-in game you know that has like you know had to make a push without lebron to get into the playoffs in the first place like somewhat optimistic that they can figure it out um but it's just gonna it's gonna require a lot more discipline than they've showed so far and i just think denver's really good so that's another factor so you know vibes are sort of cautiously optimistic i think 
Mm, yeah, that's fair. And I think my biggest thing about this entire playoff stretch was sustainability and how long we'd be able to keep this up because this entire time after we finished the Grizzlies off, after we finished the Warriors off, after every series win, I always question, wow, that was awesome and unbelievable. But this entire time I've kept into perspective just the long journey this team has been on and particularly LeBron James and Anthony Davis. And my biggest question after every series was, can they keep this up? Is there enough gas left in the tank? And and, and look, I'm not counting us out yet. And this is going to sound a little bit very, this is going to sound very un-Kobe-like and very un-Mamba mentality-like, but I feel like this team has already vastly over-exceeded my expectations. And like I mentioned, I've been keeping perspective throughout these last few months and tracking this team's journey, understanding that when you're relying on two supremely banged-up superstars who have to have surgery this offseason— when you've been relying on them to carry way too much of, a, of the load this entire year, I kind of just figured the wheels were going to fall off eventually, but that even if they do, I don't think it should reframe what a tremendous group of guys this team has and how likable this team is, how they rally together, and kind of how bright the future is as well. And, you know, maybe that's just my own personal copium that I'm smoking right now, but and also probably because I'm legitimately in the trenches scouting this draft and looking ahead to our off-season trade options and free agency targets. And I'm just overall excited at how many options we finally have. And maybe this is my way of detracting from the fact that we're 0-2. That's probably it. But I still think we can win the series. But also, like you mentioned, we just might not because we're burnt out and Denver's really good. They're really smart. They're strong and physical. And maybe that's just okay, you know? Yeah. Um, so Tommy, let's start here. We've been doing your favorite play of the game or series or sequence of the game the last few pods because we've potted every time we've won a game. And that's kind of how I like to keep things. But unfortunately, we've lost two in a row. So we're going to have to cover a loss. And so why don't you give me your unplay of the game or unplay sequence of the game? Okay, for me, the unplay of the game which I'm choosing as an example because I think it's like kind of indicative of sort of the bigger issues that we had, I think was, you know, 30 seconds left or whatever. We're down by five or four or four and 30 seconds left where 30 seconds left in the game, 30, 35 seconds left in the game. And LeBron steals that inbounds pass and then takes it to the rim and just completely whiffs on the layup. That would have made it by the way, a one possession game with like a four second, shot clock differential and we still had a timeout so that was and you know i'm sure you're going to talk about a lot more you know the uh, of the issues that kind of involve lebron in that game but to me that was like indicative of of you know a bigger problem that i think we've had in these first two games and i i really should say just game two but you know game two crucial I, i won't say must win but like very critical game to win on the road we're right there in it. We had the door open and our two stars kind of whiffed. Um, yeah. And that's and that's a problem. And I think that play is indicative of that. I mean, LeBron whiffed on like two or three layups. He had the one that, was, you know, he was going for the like reverse jam and transition and he just dropped the ball out of bounds. He had that whiff at the end that I just mentioned. And he had the, obviously everybody knows the like 
several missed threes in the fourth. So it was just not a good LeBron game by any means. Well, I think you can expand that out to just very poor late game decision making and shot selection by LeBron and Anthony Davis. Anthony Davis had a couple threes there that could have also cut the lead to like, I think at one point he had Austin Reeves open on the wing. He chose to take the baseline three and look, he was open and he hit the last one, but it's like, Austin's five for nine from three at that point, and he's hit the most threes that a Laker has hit in the last five games. And that I think that would have cut the lead down to like one or something, you know? Yeah. And then the other three he took, we were only down by five. And so you're yeah. right. I think LeBron James and Anthony Davis's decision-making at the end, they're definitely left a lot to be desired which and which also gets back and just to quickly mention which also gets back to like my overall you know point that i made just a few minutes ago about like the discipline right like they just need better discipline on both ends but especially on offense yeah for sure so my unplay slash unplay of the game or unsequence of the game would be in the third quarter i felt like and i'm not blaming everything on this but this is where we lost most of our momentum in the second half when I felt like we had had a pretty good stranglehold on the game for the most part. But six-minute mark, the Lakers let their lead slip to six. Michael Porter hits this stupid like transition three on the baseline or whatever. Cut to six, Darvin Ham smartly calls timeout. And then he comes out of the timeout with three guards. He has A.D. Rui and then D'Lo, Reeves, and Schroeder out there. And he's done that throughout the game, even in the first half. And it was okay because the Nuggets on the other end also had three guys. Like they had Bruce Brown, KCP, and Christian Brown or something like that, right? But on the other end, I look at the Denver Nuggets and they still have Jokic, Aaron Gordon, MPJ. And then the worst part about that is their two smalls, their quote-unquote two smalls, are KCP and Bruce Brown, who play big, you know? And we have Reeves, D'Lo, and uh, Schroeder out there coming out of the timeout, and I'm like, oh, God, here we go. Now, the next two minutes, the Lakers actually push the lead back up to 10, and I'm like, okay, maybe we actually got away with this. But I kind of always felt like it was fool's gold. And sure enough, the Denver Nuggets proceed to go on an 8-0 run. Um, Braun actually, even though he sat, he went right back up to the scorer's table after a minute and he was waiting to get he was waiting to check in. And then one of the last plays that he saw that he really just hung his head on was the KCP wide open three off the, you know, defensive breakdown with Dennis Schroeder doubling hard on Jokic and D'Lo rotating late. And I'd question whether or not D- Schroeder should have been doubling Jokic anyways, because AD was right behind Rui Hachimura as the help. Regardless, 8-0 run by that three-guard small lineup against the Denver Nuggets, and Braun comes back in, and I was like, okay, Braun's back in, but he comes back in for Anthony Davis, and Jokic is still out there, and when all is said and done, the Nuggets had strung together a 10-0 lead, it was a tie game, and the Lakers' lead is down to three after three quarters, and again, the Lakers still had the lead, but for me, this is where we sort of, it kind of felt like we were scrambling, and we didn't have our rotations or the directives for those rotations aligned and I knew we were scrambling Tommy because even if Anthony Davis and LeBron James were tired they subbed out and subbed back in within minutes of each other do you know what I'm saying like AD actually came back (laughs) in the last minute of that third because he was like this isn't working 
LeBron James went back up to the scorer's table after he was subbed out for those three small guards because he was like, I don't think this is going to work. And they were both right. And it just felt like we had lost grip of the game. And I mean, obviously we did because we had our 11-point third quarter lead dwindled to three points. And then the start of the fourth quarter is a whole nother story. But at that point, I always go back to when is the moment that we lost most of our momentum, right? And for me, it was that third quarter. And then again, this is not an excuse because we easily could have gotten that momentum back with smarter decision-making at the start of the fourth. But to me, this is just, you know, that's where my eyes focused on. Six-minute mark, we go back to the three-guard, small-guard lineup against Denver's very physical Jokic, AG, MPJ, KCP, Bruce Brown lineup. And even though we didn't get necessarily out-rebounded and it wasn't because of our size that Denver had that 10-0 run, I don't know, man. It just puts a lot of onus on like guys like LeBron, Rui, and... Anthony Davis to hold up defensively while, you know, our three small guards can't really crash the boards, you know? So that was my unplay slash unseries of the game. Um, Okay, I guess we can kind of transition into our macro thoughts on what went wrong in this game. I'll really quickly go through the game flow. So the Lakers went back to their starting lineup, original starting lineup that they used against the Memphis Grizzlies and the Golden State Warriors for the most part, with Vanderbilt back in there. And I thought they did solidly to start the game. I mean, they didn't go out to like a 10-0 run, although they started the game 5-0, but I felt like they did well and they played better defensively. Vanderbilt was mucking things up. I mean, the first play of the game was a D'Angelo Russell steal into like a Vanderbilt breakaway dunk. And I think... They played even better in the third quarter. Again, they had an 11-point lead off of like a breakaway where D'Lo pitches it to LeBron for an easy dunk. And I was like, okay, this is working. And even when Denver cut it down to six points, again, we got it back up to 10. And this is all with, you know, D'Angelo Russell in the game. So I don't necessarily think D'Angelo Russell was playing as terribly as people make it sound like he did. Although we'll get to him in a second because we needed much more from him. But I thought the starting unit was okay. I I just really think that, yeah, coupling both of our unplays of the game together, um, that's kind of what led to our downfall here. Like, too much small guard lineup and then too much bad decision-making from our stars and just not making shots, honestly. And then you obviously can't give up 23 points in the fourth quarter to one guy, Jamal Murray, who at that point had been 5 of 17 entering the fourth. But for the most part, I actually thought the defense was solid this game, save for some very obvious defensive breakdowns off perimeter shots, like that KCP shot, and then that Jokic offensive rebound to a wide-open Bruce Brown three that really killed us. But overall, we held Denver to 108, which is pretty impressive. It's just the offensive execution and decision-making was terrible, to close the game especially. Um, the Lakers were out-rebounded again, 49-40. to 40. Fast break points were pretty even, surprisingly. 22 for Denver, 21 for LA. We did outscore them 48-46 to 46 in the paint, but Tommy, that needs to be like at least a 10-point differential, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And then the biggest part, Denver hit 14 threes. We only hit eight. That's a 24-point uh, differential from three-point land. Um, so, and then obviously other factors for me, like fatigue, 
LeBron played great defense. He played Jokic pretty well at times, but I just think that's too much to ask of him, you know? He's clearly burnt out offensively. All of his three-point shots were short. And then AD, I don't know what the hell was going on. Four for 15 is just inexcusable, although I guess you can excuse it because his legs are probably fried as well. But he just missed so many chippies, and one of his field goals was a three-point attempt, so really AD only had three field goals. That That's crazy, you know? Um, and then overall, you know, the matchups, I just feel like the matchups and rotations haven't lined up perfectly. And I think at this point, the margin for error is so small that they need to line up perfectly. When Jokic is out there, AD needs to be out there, not LeBron, Rui, and small gu- three small guys. If there are three small guards out there, then the Denver also has to have three small guards. And I felt like there were two instances, namely the third, where that didn't sync up. And then lastly, There's just no reliable shooting and spacing currently. Like, Austin Reeves is the only one holding us up. But, yeah, for you, what are your macro thoughts on what went wrong? Again, macro, for me, it just comes down to discipline. I mean, I think your points about the three-guard lineups and how we need to make sure that those don't align with when Denver is playing big. I mean, Denver does not play big for a very, very small portion of the game. Jokic has been playing 40-plus minutes. Uh, Gordon has been playing high 30s, close to 40 minutes. And then you obviously have Michael Porter Jr. who's playing like at least mid, you know, 30 to mid 30s. And like, I mean, on and then as you mentioned, right, KCP and Bruce Brown both play big. They're big physical guards. So that is a factor. But it's also like, you know, our roster is what it is. Okay, it's may you know mid-may like we can't make any trades we can't sign anybody else our roster sort of is what it is we knew coming into the playoffs what our weaknesses were and that was like big wings vando has been able to help you know in some series but he's more of a perimeter guy he's not like a big he's like he gets knocked around in the paint right when we go with that three guard lineup with schroeder reeves and delo we know what we're giving up defensively. We know we're probably going to get beat defensively. But there there are certain minutes, right, where AD has to sit. And when AD has to sit and we don't want to play Vando, what we're doing is telling, you know, our guards, theoretically, we're trying to space the floor as much as we can and everybody needs to be, like, diving to the rim. Like, those minutes with AD off the floor, we need to be... I mean, we need to be attacking the rim for, for 48 minutes, but especially with 80 off the floor. Well, well, that's why I mentioned I I felt like the directives were off. Like, even if it's a necessity that we need to have 80 off the floor, then why aren't the guards doing something that makes sense for us to gain an advantage, right? Lack of discipline. I'm telling you, dude, like, the game plan is what it is. I think these guys are getting tired. I think they're getting worn down by the altitude or whatever, and they're chucking up threes. Now, they got good looks. They got looks that they hit in game one. But we don't have the shooters that like Denver has or like, you know, the Warriors had, right? We have our shooters who have their own limitations. And so we can't let Denver bait us into exactly what they want, which is for us in those lineups to take jump shots that lead to long rebounds <sighs> yep. and they immediately push it. I think like, you know, again, it, I'm going to say it a million times maybe, but discipline, like against the Warriors, they're the number one pace team in the NBA. They were all year and they were in the playoffs. We knew exactly what they wanted to do, which was run every time. Denver was not a high-paced team, but they score a ton of transition points, meaning that they know when to run and they know how to run effectively. And I think we just let them, like, 
we really, really let them bait us into, you know, getting kind of lulled to sleep. Like they take these rebounds like off a lot, like the, off our missed jump shots, right? Usually long rebounds. And it'll be Jokic or Gordon or Porter pushing the ball. And we see a 6'10 guy pushing the ball, not or seven foot guy pushing the ball. We don't see Steph Curry pushing the ball. And because of that, I mean, you you could, you know, there's a ton of breakdowns on this on Twitter, right? But like you see it, like when you take that, you take the clips of like those few seconds of like the missed shot into the rebound and you look at everyone's steps going the other way. Denver is just literally, I mean, literally a step or a step and a half ahead of us. They know what they want to do. And for some reason, we're playing reactionary. So I, you know, I definitely hear you on the on the small guard lineups. I think we need to figure something out there. You know, and one idea, you know, you and I have discussed offline is getting Troy Brown reintegrated into this series. Like he was, mm-hmm. you know, this is not like, you know, we have to throw out a wild card Reggie Jackson, you know, like like some guy who hasn't played in in months, right? Like he was a huge part of our rotation for the entire 82 game season. And he was the guy we went to first against Memphis. I think like now that we need defense again and, and rebounding and Troy has always been a sneaky, good rebounder. I really think we need to figure out how to use him. But again, even bigger than that, right? It doesn't matter really who's out there to some degree, because we know we're going to lose defensively in those lineups. But what we have to do is attack the rim. We can't be putting those lineups out there and having our guys take a bunch of jump shots. Yeah, I agree. And we'll get more into the adjustments in the second half of our episode. But yeah, you're right. It's a it's a number of factors from fatigue to fatigue affecting guys' decision-making. Um, and honestly, just our stars not playing like our stars in this game, right? Um, before we take it to break, I just wanted to throw out our one of our two big silver linings of this game, and one of them is Rui Hachimura. I think Rui has been... Rui's game last night was emblematic of how everyone on this team should be playing, like with force, purpose, and intention. Like that dude, I've never seen Rui so decisive in his movements before. Oh, yeah. You know? And I was like, you can holy see, shit. Like, the handy, you can see the handy training, right? He did this in a couple games when he got minutes against Golden State. It's just that he wasn't able to stay on the floor in that series because of the matchups, right? Because Golden State plays a lot of micro ball. But, like, he knows, like, he's clearly, like, in communication and, like, he understands the assignment from the coaches. Um, when he is in there, he's taking it to the rim because he knows no one's going to stop him at the rim. Mm-hmm. And he's usually right. That's why he started the game. Like, everyone was making a big thing about, like, how he was 7 for 7 to start, right? One of those was the three. One of those was a mid-range jumper. The other five were layups in the paint or dunks. Yeah. So, like, he knows exactly what he needs to do in the series. And, like, to your point, like, everybody else has to buy into that same degree. Like, Rui is not, Rui is not afraid of the contact and physicality. Everybody else has to have that same mindset. Yeah, he was aggressive and took it to the basket. Tommy, honestly, he looked like he belonged on the Denver Nuggets the way he was playing. Because I was like, wait, he's so fast and strong. That's not indicative of our team, sadly, right now. And, you know, 21 points, 8 of 10 from the field, 8 for 8 at one point. He had 17 points on 8 of 11 the last game. Rui's 2 for 3 from 3 in 2 games, Tommy. And I feel like he should be shooting more of our 3s than some of our other guys. So I don't know know what's going on. Um, But I almost kind of feel like we maybe should have just I mean hindsight is 2020 
But looking back on, on game one, I wish we would have just maybe just scrapped whatever comeback we had planned and just, you know, let our guys rest, Tommy, and been like, we're down by 20 in the third quarter anyways. Let's just be down by 20 the rest of this game, not unveil the the Rui, you know, wild card and save it for game two. But instead, we kind of let our game two counter bleed into game one without getting any yeah. win out of it. Again, this is hindsight is twenty twenty, right? But if I could redo things, I'd say, you know what, guys? We screwed up. I screwed up with this small guard lineup playing them like 25 minutes in game one. Let's just call it a loss and move on from there. You know, maybe we would have, you know, more fully had a grip on this this game too. But yeah. I mean, and I hear I hear you on that. I thought the same things at times. I do think like, you know, Michael Mullen has been a little sassy with the media. But I mean, to his point, right, like they've seen every potential coverage on Jokic. They've played against the Timberwolves in the first round who are well-coached defensively. Monty Williams is obviously like an elite coach. They've seen all the coverages. Um, They knew like they would have adapted. I think like, you know, when you have a chance to try to squeeze a win out like they did in frankly both of these games, you just throw everything out there. I don't think, you know, you can save it. But I think like, yeah, they just we need to have a lot more discipline executing our offensive game plan. Yeah, I feel like because Ham knew that Malone knew that they already threw Rui out there. His big adjustment this game was like, all right, LeBron, you're going to play Jokic, not Rui. And I'm like, okay, I guess that kind of works, but we're burning LeBron the hell out, you know? Anyways, let's take it to break. When we return, let's talk about adjustments for game three. And let's talk about D'Angelo Russell for a little bit too. So we will catch you guys after the turn. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. All right, so we are back. Tommy, let's talk about Austin Reeves because he is him, HBK, himbk. Four out of his last five games, he has 20-plus points. He is 20 of 35 from three. That is 57% from three. He is the lone pillar holding up our three-point shooting right now, this undrafted second-year player. Um, Now, on the other end, I want to juxtapose Reeves with D'Angelo Russell. So D'Angelo Russell, and everybody knows, like, D'Lo's my boy, Coco 5, ice in his veins, let's go. But Coco 5. <laughs> Coco 5. So since D'Angelo's 5 of 8 from 3 game, 21-point performance in game 3 versus Golden State, D'Angelo Russell is 4 of 21 from 3 in his last 5 games. That is 19%. And I'm juxtaposing I'm juxtaposing Reeves with D'Lo because both of them are up for new contracts this offseason. And as much as I have stayed on the hill 
and died on this hill that D'Angelo Russell is at worst going to make $28 million his first year on his next contract. These last two games have made me backtrack like crazy on that statement. And I feel like, and I'm not saying he can't turn this around, but I feel like just in these last two games, D'Lo has lost himself quite a bit of money. And maybe we're looking at... 22 to 25 I thought at worst first year D'Angelo Russell of his new contract the first year would be 25 million dollars then it would escalate to 28 escalate again to 31 but at this point Reeves is looking like the guy who deserves the 28 to 30 million dollar contract and D'Lo is looking like the 18 to 20 million dollar player now This all seems reactionary because it kind of is, and I don't want to overlook D'Angelo's contributions in the first two series to get us to this point because he's been pretty solid up until this point. I mean, he had 19 points in the closeout game versus the Warriors. We don't win game three without him. We don't win game one against the Warriors without him, that game-winning shot and 19 points. But these last two games, Tommy, have been so bad that the recency bias is like, it's affecting even me. And the short story of this all is, and I, and I actually think, as I mentioned in the game flow portion of this episode, it wasn't his defense that killed us today. It was breakdowns from everybody. And newsflash, D'Angelo Russell was not on Jamal Murray this game. You know, KCP didn't, as I, as I had mentioned in my last podcast, KCP was going to have a regression game, and he did. KCP and Bruce Brown did not necessarily kill us this game, and I felt like D'Angelo Russell came out with more defensive intensity in game one. I mean, he met... Bruce Brown at the top for a flagrant foul that shouldn't have been a flagrant foul. I felt like that even messed him up throughout the rest of the game, you know? Because D'Lo's like, see what happens when I play defense? Um, but even then, I felt like he was more physical than he was game one. He had that weak side block on Bruce Brown. So I don't think he was atrocious defensively the way people are making it out to be. I do think he had a bad game overall because we just need so much more from him, you know? 10 points on eight shots, five assists, one turnover, that's cool. But you are the third highest player on this team now, and I hate to do the Russell Westbrook thing on D'Angelo Russell, but we kind of have to because his next contract is up, and we need to make some very crucial decisions. And when LeBron James and Anthony Davis are struggling like they are, and it's good that Rui and Reeves are stepping up, you kind of also expect D'Angelo Russell to hit his shots. And He's 4 of 21 from 3 the last 5 games, and if his 3-point shot is not working, then he needs to be more aggressive taking it to the basket or finding other ways to contribute to get him out of this slump because this version of D'Angelo Russell, where he's not swaggy with it, he's not playing with pace, it just, it's so lackluster and it sucks. You know, it's like you're not having fun. If D'Angelo Russell's not having fun out there and he's relegated to the perimeter, and a lot of this too is also exacerbated by the fact that he's playing with Dennis Schroeder who needs the ball because Schroeder can't space, they need to figure some things out. But I think what D'Angelo Russell can control for himself is to just wake the fuck up, you know? Yeah. Any thoughts on D'Angelo Russell? (laughs) I think I I agree with the last thing you just said. I think like D'Angelo Russell has been an all-star before, but he's not he's not Jamal Murray. He's not, you know, uh, he's not like that kind of caliber. I mean, he can give us some types of those games. I mean, we might get it in game three and four, but it's just like, he's kind of taken himself out of the game. I feel like, well, I I guess what I'm getting at though, with my point, right. Is like, he's not going to do it consistently. Mm -hmm. So the up and down offense you can live with, you know, like Reeves is not going to 
average 20 I mean maybe he'll prove me wrong but Reeves is probably not going to score 25 a night and shoot 50% from three for this whole series he's going to have an off night too um the thing that's frustrating about D'Lo is I feel like the noise off the court noise in the series has gotten to his head first round D'Lo's been in the first round before he played Memphis last year that was I think a comfortable transition for him second round he used to play for the Warriors. He knows what they're trying to run. And he's and it's not like there aren't as many matchup problems because the Warriors play a lot of microball and D'Lo can shoot over guys. For whatever reason, the Denver Nuggets hate D'Angelo Russell. Okay, <laughs> I mean, they've been like, Bruce Brown has been going after him in the media. I think like Harrison Fagan tweeted something this morning. I don't know if you saw this. With but Michael like, Porter Jr. where he was talking exactly, about MPJ like, being cooked on screens or whatever. Yeah, and there was like a clip from like two, three years ago or something. And like, I don't know if <laughs> they're playing that mu- on the locker room. There must be more to it than just that clip, right? Like, there must be something else that is going on behind the scenes that we just don't know. But like, for whatever reason, Michael Malone and Bruce Brown and like all these guys have been really, really targeting D'Angelo Russell. Um, I personally think they know that that's their best chance of winning this series is to take the Lakers best third scoring, you know, the third best offensive option completely out of the series. Um, And they've had success with that so far. D'Lo has one good game and we're one-on-one right now, but he had two awful games, probably his two worst games of the playoffs. And, you know, he's had some bad ones, right? Like game one or game two against Memphis and, and some others. Right. So it, it, I think like, I agree that like it's it's tough. You don't want to be reactionary. I don't think that D'Lo is a $30 million player. And that's not even just because of these last two games. But I think he really, really needs to... If he wants to redeem himself, there's plenty of time. And he needs to come back in LA and have big bounce back games. And I think it starts with his playmaking and defense. Because the shot is going to come and go. He's in a really cold stretch. I mean, you mentioned like his last few games, but he shot like after like getting off to a decent start, shooting 37% from three against Memphis, he's he shot 31% in the whole series against the Warriors. Yeah. And he obviously, you know, is one for eight, 13% in the series so far against the um against the Nuggets. So if he can like Again, I, I'm not saying he needs to come out and bomb six threes. If he does that, I'm not that in and of itself is not going to move me. What's going to move me is like him matching Denver's physicality and sort of not letting the mental stuff get to him because right now it feels like he's really letting the mental stuff get to him. Like he had the block on Bruce Brown. You don't have to stare the guy down. You know what I mean? To like try to get him like you know, prove your point. Like you weren't even having a great game up to that point. Right. Like the flagrant foul was weak, but like, I think you're right. It kind of got into his head. Like not, not from maybe the sense that like, Oh, this is what happens when I play defense. But like, you know, yes, he, he, there is a wind up every time you're going for a block, but like he knew who he was going for a block (laughs) against, you know, D'Angelo does not normally contest those types of plays in transition. And the way he like, he he initiated the contact and then walked away from it immediately. Like he knew what he was doing. Like he can't let that, the physicality and the mental aspect take him out of the series. Because if it does, like we're just not going to win. Like LeBron and AD are not the same offensive players that Jokic and Murray are. And the way that we've been winning so far is not by 
banking on those guys to score us 35 every single night. We've been winning with a balanced attack. And D'Lo is a critical, critical part of that balanced attack. Yeah, I think I agree with you. He's not a $30 million player, even accounting for his entire playoff stretch. If he is a $30 million player or a 28 to $30 million player, it's not because of his play. It's because we need the contract because there's no other way to replace him, right? And we may just need the salary ballast going into next season. I would like for D'Angelo Russell to, to muster up some pride, though, to assume some of that value. But to your point, I think it's more frustrating because he showed us more aggression in the Memphis series, attacking the basket against the defensive player of the year and Dylan Brooks and these other guys. Right. And I feel like he's got gotten back to his ways of being reliant on whether or not his three point shot is falling or not and letting that dictate the rest of his game. And actually, if you look at this game, so third quarter, right, that stretch I was talking about, if we just shut the game off there where D'Angelo Russell pitches it to LeBron James and LeBron James like gets the delay up or gets the open dunk and they're up by 11. Or we can even go a little bit past that six minute mark after the timeout. D'Angelo Russell hits that little three foot floater on the baseline after an Austin Reeves pass and the Lakers are up by 10. If we stop the game there, Tommy, D'Angelo Russell has 10 points and five assists and one turnover, right? That's a pretty good game up until that point where the Lakers up by 10. So... I just don't know what happened after that because in the fourth quarter, it was like four or five useless minutes from him where he didn't even take a shot. And it's a combination, I think, of, like you said, bad decision-making by our stars. Like, everything just seems off, and it's like, I feel like it's compounding on D'Angelo Russell, who, on top of everything else that's going on, is dealing with this, I don't know, Denver Nuggets, like, little tit-for-tat thing, you know? But anyways, we need D'Angelo Russell. It's not outside of him to be more aggressive and find other ways to contribute outside of just getting hot from three. We just need him to play a smarter game and to be more locked in and honestly just have that swagger about him that makes him so dangerous, that makes teams like Denver want to scheme him out of games, right? Because if D'Angelo Russell just sits on the sidelines, then yeah, we're, we're already done from there. All right, with that said, to just last five minutes of this podcast, Tommy, and you've kind of already gotten into some of the adjustments you want to see, including maybe giving Troy Brown a look. I can't believe this is where we're at at this point of the season, but maybe it's not so crazy. Um, I think in terms of what we should do for game three, I think I would still keep Vando in the starting lineup and give him his customary 15 minutes or so, because I think giving Jamal Murray different looks besides Schroeder is a good thing. I'm not saying Vando is the sole reason like Jamal Murray was 5 for 17 heading into the third, but he was a part of the reason, and he was part of the reason why Murray was hesitating or at least even second-guessing his three-point shot even when he was open because, uh uh-oh, is Vando coming off this screen with his long-ass wingspan and arms, right? Like, Vando's length, even though Vando doesn't navigate screens well, just knowing, Tommy, that there's a 7'1 guy or 7'1 wingspan guy trailing you, that has an effect on a player like Murray, right? Um, I would also up Rui's minutes to 35 minutes at least. You know, Rui, this is more than just a Rui series. Rui needs to be like maybe the third best player on this team right now. Um, As I've already mentioned, I would never play a three-guard lineup if Denver has their three-headed monster of Jokic, AG, and MPJ on the floor. Even if Jeff Green's on the floor, you know? Um, 
as you mentioned, maybe try Troy Brown, use his length on defense, and then on the offensive end, he can at least attack the basket more than our guys have been doing, or at least the three guards that have been out there have been doing. He can also crash the boards better on both ends of the floor. If Lonnie continues to play, Lonnie Walker needs to leverage his athleticism and take it to the cup because we're not necessarily putting Lonnie out there so he can bomb threes, even though he has, even though he did do that in the Golden State series. For me, Lonnie's primary purpose is he gives us something that the other guards don't give us in terms of he's strong. He can absorb body contact. He can get to the line. You know, Dennis hasn't been able to get to the line because he's so small and he's getting swallowed up by Denver's bigs whenever they pack the paint. But Lonnie Walker can do something against that. You know, he needs to do more of that. His one shot last night was when he attacked the closeout and went up for a floater and he hit it. We need more of that if Lonnie's going to continue to play. If he's not, then I would rather give... Troy Brown or Malik Beasley a two-minute look to see if he can space the floor because Denver's packing the paint on us and daring us to shoot, you know? We don't need Lonnie Walker to keep chucking threes because everybody else is already doing that. So to your point previously, everyone needs to attack the paint. And again, I know Denver started packing it in and daring us to shoot, but we need to be more purposeful and not settle. And then when when you do have those looks, <laughs> guys just need to hit their wide-open threes. You know, it's kind of as simple as that. And then my last adjustment is, no more Schroeder and D'Lo together. I don't think this is the series where they can both be on the court at the same time. Like, when D'Lo and Schroeder are together, not even I'm not even just talking about defensively, but offensively, the ball needs to be in Schroeder's hands, and D'Lo yeah. is just left out of the play, and he's like a bystander. He's almost like the Kyle Kuzma of this series, right? Where he's just on the baseline, kind of not engaged, and... I think Stan Van Gunny pointed it out last night in the first quarter when things were going well and they were actually going to Reeves and D'Lo. This is the most pick-and-roll action we've seen D'Lo in, in this series. And I think that was an intentional action by the coach to get D'Lo going. And it's funny because, you know, the previous series when D'Lo was our lead assist man-getter and the best pick-and-roll partner for AD, it was because we were running D'Lo on ball. But we've gone totally away from that, and I think we need to level things back to the middle. And so... If Schroeder's not on the court when D'Lo's there, D'Lo can have more of the action with Austin Reeves. And then defensively, it, it just doesn't work. D'Lo and Schroeder are not on the same page. <laughs> it's just, and we're, and we're too small. They're very so confused, yeah. They're very confused with each other. <laughs> we're all very confused by all these small guys. But yeah, no Schroeder and D'Lo at the same time. Outside of that, do you have any other things that you want to tangibly hit upon in terms of adjustments for game three? Well, I agree with you on starting Vando. I think the we Vando's 6'8", so he has to play in this series, and the only way he's going to be effective is if he plays starting the game. So I think your point about, like, give him his 15-minute burst or whatever, like, we have to do that. I think, like, he can be an extra body against Jamal. He can save Reeves' legs a little bit, at least to start the game. Um, and he needs to do a little bit better job crashing the glass, I think, um, yeah. especially offensively, but... He he should continue to start. I think, you know, looking at Dennis's minutes, Dennis in the first round, as we know, right, it, it, he had a problem with the physicality of Memphis's guards. He he averaged five points per game in that series and shot 36% from the field and 22% from three. Because of that, he played 22 minutes a game mm-hmm. and Ham sort of tried to limit what he was going to do. He played one game in that series, the one that went to overtime that we won, um, 
game four at home um and he was clutch in that game and and so it worked out that was the one game in the series he played 30 minutes second series we played golden state who plays a lot more micro ball right so it was a much better dennis series he scored 10 points a game shot 44 percent from the field and 35 percent from three for your bench point guard especially one who's limited as a shooter most of the time that's as good as you're gonna get he played 26 minutes per game in that series for some reason, in, in the series where we were having, we were playing like the most phys- physicality we've seen so far, right? Because Memphis is physical, but they were missing Stephen Adams and they were missing Brandon Clark. And yeah, their guards are physical, but they're not as quick as Dennis, maybe. But why haven't we gone back to that? Look, with Dennis, I'm not really sure. He's playing 31 minutes per game in the first two games, which is by far the most. I mean, it, his his two games so far in this series would be the second and third most minutes he's played in the entire playoffs, which does not make sense for multiple reasons. I think your point about like him and D'Lo not really coexisting on really either end is, is a really good one. I think D'Lo, again, despite the fact that he hasn't been able to shoot... D'Lo is the is an actual like he can still make some plays. Dennis Schroeder has had you know he in the first game he had five assists in the second game he had zero. So like that's kind of what you're going to get with him as a playmaker. It's going to be very very up and down, and we can't have a game where Dennis is shooting two for nine and getting you zero assists because what is he doing out there? And that's why it's like kind of alarming to me that we did stick with him for 30 minutes, even though like we all admit D'Lo also did not have a good game. Yeah. So I think like the one thing we can do, the one thing we can do, I think is cut Dennis's minutes. You know, I'm even okay keeping Lonnie where he is sort of, but I think we need to give a little, another look to Troy Brown. I, I Mm -hmm. honestly don't think it's that crazy of a move. Troy Brown again was our guy in the first round and he was our guy because we were going to favor defense and we were going to play a certain way. And I think going against Golden State, it's like it almost tricked us, right? It's like we had to go with Lonnie to match Golden State's explosiveness and the sort of the way that they play. And Lonnie's athleticism made a lot of sense in that series, especially after the first couple of games where Troy was just getting killed, like trying to navigate these screens, right? Troy's size, his ability to contest on Michael Porter Jr., his ability to get some rebounds, it makes like way too much sense to me to like go back to him and give him another look because, you know, again, this is not Shaq Harrison, this is not Tristan Thompson. This guy played like all 82 games for us, like was a core piece of our rotation and was our guy, like our eighth guy or whatever, like off the bench um, in the first round of the playoffs. It just became Lonnie, you know, after the first couple games against Golden State. So we need to, like, we need Ham and the coaching staff to have a little bit of flexibility and sort of remember how we got here in the first place, which was, like, our physicality and our defense, and we need to go back to that. Like, yeah. there are lineups where, you know, like, a, you, we've talked about the three-guard lineup, like, a lot, right? But I I think with the way Dennis has been shooting the ball in this series and with his like sort of suspect decision making and suspect, you know, effectiveness on defense, to me, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to keep him out there when you have D'Angelo, when you have Austin also out there or even Lonnie out there. Like we don't need another guy who can dribble the ball. We need a guy like Troy who can stand in the corner, hit an occasional corner three and drive the ball to the rim, which Troy's good at and also crash the glass on both sides. I think we, I think that, you know, 
it, it seems silly to suggest that like that's an adjustment that could win us games. We've lost these first two games on the road against the second best home team in the entire league True. by a combined 11 points. So, you know, and Denver was like, again, like we've talked about this offline maybe, but Denver was the number one team in the league this year. They closed the season five and five because they were really like that far ahead of everybody. They would have easily been a 55 to 60 win team if anybody was close to challenging them for the number one seed in the West. So this team is really good. You know, we got, again, other than the game one steals against Golden State and Memphis, we've gotten our ass kicked in like every other road game we played against Golden State and against Memphis. It wasn't even close. Like game two against Memphis without Jaw, we lost by 20 and it wasn't close. We also got our ass kicked game five against Memphis. We got beat by 30 game two against Golden State and again by 15 to 20 or whatever, you know, game five against Golden State. We have, we were in a position to win at, le- at the very least game two of this series. But like we really were kind of right there in both games. Um, there is like, I think we really need like minor, minor adjustments mm-hmm. at this point. And I think the one thing we, we can do is just make a simple swap of cutting Dennis's minutes back to where he kind of was against Memphis, where the physicality was a little bit much for him and he wasn't able to, you know, be effective in the way that he normally is give some minutes to bigger bodies. And we don't have a ton of big wings, obviously, on this roster. So give more minutes to Troy Brown. That's the main thing I would do. And then other than that, like... Sorry, can I butt in real quick? I just want to, like, affirm what you said, just because, obviously, Troy Brown is a very flawed player. So we're not acting like this is some sort of silver bullet or anything like that that'll, you know, shift the series. But I think Darvin Ham has conflated what Dennis did against the Golden State Warriors, which was very impressive. But I feel like he's linked it too closely where it's like, Dennis on Curry, great job. So then Dennis needs to be on Murray because Murray's just like Curry, right? But he's not. Jamal Murray is 6'5". And he, like, he's just shooting over Dennis. You know, it, it doesn't matter whether Dennis is shadowing him and, like, fighting over screens and whatnot. Through two games we have seen, I mean, Jamal had a 23-point fourth quarter. Even at times when LeBron was switched on him, Jamal Murray is just confidently pulling up from three or mid-range, you know? And at this point, you need to switch it up with some size. I'm not saying Troy Brown should be on Jamal Murray, but it's just like we need to switch the matchups around a little bit, maybe give Reeves a little bit of a look on Murray, still keep Vando at times on Murray to have him think about his shots, you know, like think about shooting against length. And so... I think what's happened is Ham has conflated what Dennis did in the Golden State series and just carried it too much forward into this series. And it's almost like he can't detach the two. He's almost treating like he's treating Dennis like the way he treats AD, Tommy. When Jokic is on the floor, AD needs to be on there. When Murray is on the floor, Dennis needs to be on there. And I think that's not correct. Yeah. I agree. And I mean, like, again, with the rebounding issues that we're having against this team, like, we've been able to kind of we've been able to sort of ignore it and, and just be like, you know, we're not going to win every statistical category, but we'll lose the rebounds, but we're going to win in this area, this area, this area. We don't have that same kind of margin for error in, in the Western conference finals. I think Lonnie Walker has had like, you know, one rebound in, in the last game, two rebounds on the first game. Like, and that's fine. That's like not really his game, but Troy Brown was like a sneaky good rebounder for us all year. So we're talking about very marginal changes that need to be made here to like 
make up this 11 point differential over two games. We don't need, and, and by the way, this is with like, we lost the last game by six with LeBron and AD having a combined like 13 for 34 shooting night. So, yeah, I mean, that's the biggest adjustment, right? But we're talking about yeah, the margin yeah, yeah. moves. <laughs> and, and so, but, it, but that's like the crazy thing, right? It's like, I think it is easy to get discouraged. History is against us, right? Like in the conference finals in both conferences, teams that go down 0 and 2 are 6 and 56 all time. Now, two of those six were LeBron teams, and then one of those was a Laker team, right? So it's like there is some history maybe sort of suggesting on our that, that like there's a chance for for this group. Um, but I will say like six and 56, but we did not like, we didn't get blown out in the first two games. Like in these 0-2 starts, like a lot of these series that end up, you know, going in the going in the favor of the team that started 2-0, and you know, home team, playing and blowing out the road team two games in a row. It's clearly the better team road team starting and going two and zero against the home team again, like clearly the better team, right? Go, and then taking that two Oh lead back home with them. In this case, we barely lost these two games and we played well enough to win game two. If LeBron and AD didn't like just completely shit the bed at the end and like get too <laughs> tired with the altitude. So I'm like, Again, don't want to be too optimistic, but I'm going to be really, really curious to see what happens in game three. Now, I'm fully expecting a win, which is, again, probably maybe uh, maybe I'm too optimistic in that sense, but I am expecting a win at game three. It's going to be desperation mode. If there was a game we were going to win in the series, like we've been on the other side of this, right? When teams come in in desperation mode down 3-1, like they, they, it's just hard to match that energy, especially when you're switching courts. Um so I think we're going to win game three. But to me, it's not going to be like, do we win it? It's going to be like, how do we win it? Do we need to like, mm-hmm. you know, Denver beat us again by a combined 11 points. If we make up that point differential in one game, if we come back out and win game four, maybe that shows us what we can do and what's going to work against that team that we come back on game five and like make these marginal adjustments and sneak one. We just need to get one. It doesn't matter if it's game one, two, five or seven, we need one game in Denver. And I think we've shown that we're, we can do it. And again, like, you know, we, we've done pods in between these games and like, we've talked about the schedule, like scheduled losses, right? Like it doesn't feel to me like, you know, at least so far that like we can count on like, or Denver can count on, uh, they have home court. So it's going to be a scheduled win for them. We've been right there and these marginal moves can help. Yeah, I agree with you. I'm not counting us out yet because the through line of this entire season for this team has been, it's frustrating that it gets to this point, but they have actually bucked the trend of they wait till their backs are against the wall to actually do something and actually, you know, fight back. And actually, up until this point in the playoffs, the Lakers have always been ahead, right? They've always been in control. But if you look, if you zoom out to the entire story of the season, it's always been Lakers really need to win this game because they themselves have shot themselves in the foot and now their backs are against the wall. And for the most part, they have responded every single time, right? When they absolutely needed yeah. to win. Next game is an absolute need to win because teams that go down 0-3, Tommy, have never come back to win a series. So um, I expect them to come out fighting. And yeah, so I'm not too distraught one way or another. Again, Denver is a great team. Like I mentioned, they are like a fusion 
of some of the best parts of the Memphis Grizzlies in terms of physicality and strength and defense, and some of the best parts of the Golden State series as well in terms of high basketball IQ on offense, transition play, shooting, etc., etc. All it starts with is one win at home, then you gain some momentum, maybe win the next one. Hopefully one of those games is a blowout game. And then with momentum squarely back on your side, tying it 2-2, that's when you try and get your steal game versus Denver in game five, you know? And then you take it back home potentially for a closeout game, but they, I'm assuming they're just going to take things day by day, game by game. But yeah, we're not out of it yet. It's somewhat exciting to see what this team can do in this high-pressure environment. You just also have to keep in mind the realities of the situation and fatigue setting in. LeBron James tweaking his ankle like twice. And, you know, you're just wondering when is it going to be enough for these guys, you know? So you just hope it hasn't ended yet or it hasn't. They're not ready to give up yet, which I don't think they are. It's just a matter of whether their body will be able to hold up enough for them to sync up with their mindset of just really trying to turn a 2-10 and ten season into a championship run. So which it's already a championship run, but if they can manage to actually win the championship out of that, that will be incredible. Regardless, that'll do it for this episode. We will catch you guys next time. Hopefully, the next time we catch you guys, we will be tied 2-2. But fingers crossed. Let's go, Lakers. Let's go, Coco 5. Tommy, I will catch you later. Coco 5. <laughs> Peace. See ya. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.